Hey, thanks for checking out this week's message. We hope you're blessed by the Word of God. For more information on River of Life, you can check out our website, rolmt.com, or download our app. Just search R-O-L-M-T in your app store. Thanks. In a series that we've called We Are Family, and if you've not been with us, I would encourage you to hop online and go back and watch some of these. We're just talking about really what the church is, what we're supposed to be, what this thing we call church is supposed to look like. And, uh, and it's been, I believe it's a really important uh, message for us to understand. The first week we talked about really when we come together, what this is about and what we're supposed to do. I told you that first weekend that this is not a spectator sport. You're not supposed to come in here and just watch what we do on the stage. When, when we're singing songs, you should be singing right along with us because you are the choir, right? Pastor Seth, this team up here, they are the choir director, but you are the choir. And so if, you, if, if that's a struggle for you, I just want to encourage you, lean in and, and figure out what that looks like because we are here to honor our Savior. We're here to honor God. We're here to give him honor and glory that is due him. Amen? Amen. And so don't make it about you because if it's about you, you're doing it wrong. Okay? Um, so I, I just want to take a few moments and we're going to look at, again, our, our main scripture that we've been looking at every week, just kind of as a, a, a key point to, to launch from is First uh, Timothy chapter 3 says this, I'm writing these things to you now, even though I hope to be with you soon, so that if I am delayed, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. Let's pray. God, today we just thank you so much for all that you do for us. We praise you, God, for the families that were reached and served today, both with Hands of Hope, with our clothing closet, with our food bank, in all the areas of outreach that have gone from this place. Lord, we're so grateful because we know that as we uh, show your love to this community, Lord, that, that it will make you famous, and we praise you for that. Lord, I pray for our, our campuses in Star Valley and in Malawi, and Lord, those who are watching in the prison system. Just another few letters, even over the last week, of just what you're doing inside people's lives that are locked up right now, and we just thank you for that opportunity. Lord, we just pray as we dig into your word that, Lord, you will show us exactly what we need to see. We're so grateful, God, for all that you do for us, and we give you all the praise and all the honor. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So I want to just take a few moments, and I want to give you just a brief uh, history of my history in the ministry. I was called in the ministry in 1994, uh, and uh, I had been raised in the church. My dad was a pastor. My grandpa was a pastor. I had I had seen the church at its best. I had seen the church at its worst. I have seen uh, what it's like to, to love ministry. I'd seen what it, what it was to not like ministry so much. Um, and I, I was a youth pastor all the way until 2005. I was a youth pastor first in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And then I came and I was the youth pastor over at Christian Life Center here in town. And, uh, and about that time, uh, I went on my first trip to the Dream Center in Los Angeles, California. Um, it, was, it was my first experience with them. I had heard a little bit about the Dream Center. But as I went, I watched as, as this place, uh, they call it the church that never sleeps. And these people were insane to me. 
they were crazy. They just, they found needs and they filled them. They did whatever they needed to do to make an impact in the community. They said, listen, if there's somebody that's hurting, we're going to figure out a way to, to help them in some way so that Jesus will be made famous. And I remember walking away from that experience just thinking, I have never seen anything like that in my life. I'd grown up in a church that was a normal church. It was a church that we did some outreach, but it was like uh, an event. It was an occasional thing that we would do. I'd never seen any church that would just say, you know what, every day of the week we're gonna outreach. Every day we're gonna, we're gonna impact somebody. We're gonna, we're gonna change lives in, in one way or another. And so on that trip, a couple of things happened. The first thing was I saw church in a new way. And the second thing that happened was my dad, who was my lead pastor at the church that I was at at the time, had announced that he was retiring from church. And I knew that in that moment, I was going to probably step away from ministry because I never wanted to be a lead pastor. I always thought I would just do the youth pastor thing until I wasn't cool enough to do it anymore. Um, Probably two years after that, because you don't realize you're not cool enough yet. Um, and then I would go off and I would do my own thing. And, and so in that moment, I realized, oh man, I learned something really cool about church that I will never get to apply. That's what I thought to myself. And so, uh, I got back from that and, and shortly after I got back from that trip, I was asked to preach, uh, to preach in the main room at Christian Life Center. Uh, and that happened occasionally, but there was a big staff, so it was pretty rare that I'd get the opportunity to preach there. And so I remember as I was sitting and I was beginning to write a message, I actually penned this little short story, almost kind of a modern day parable, if you will. And I really felt like as I was looking at what we were going to talk about this weekend, that I wanted to share that story with you. And it was, a, it was really a story about these two brothers who lived in this rural community and as they, as they lived in this rural community, they would commute to a bigger city. They owned their own business and their business was thriving. They were, they were experiencing incredible growth and so they were getting richer and richer and, and, and they loved being out in the country. They loved that that's where they could raise their family. And one day they were in the, in the city and they were, they were having this uh, business meeting and they got a phone call and, they, and it was a phone call that said that their aunt who also lived in this little community with them had fallen down some stairs and, and she was being rushed to the hospital in the city. And so they, they got to the hospital and they waited and they waited and they waited and it took quite a while because it was quite an extensive drive from this community that they were in. And so eventually the, the aunt is wheeled into the hospital and it's not too much longer after that that they pronounce her dead on arrival. They said that, that she had too much internal bleeding and so she passed away. The brothers walked away from that incident and they, they had asked some of the doctors and just some of the staff at the hospital, they said, was there any way that they could have saved her? And they said, well, because uh, the commute was so far, there's no way that, 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 that we could have stopped that bleeding. If, if there would have been a healthcare system in place in the community that you come from, then they would have probably been able to help her. But because it was too long afterwards, there was no way that we could save her. Well, this began to almost haunt these two brothers and, and they began to think, man, we need to, we need to do something. We need to figure out a way that we, can, that we can help because it isn't fair that people who live out where we do, they don't have access to the healthcare that they should. And so they began to look around this little town that they lived in and they found a couple of buildings that were abandoned and they found an architect and they began to have conversations about what would it look like to turn this into a small healthcare facility and so they said, listen, money is no object. We've got enough money to make this happen if we can just start the process. 
And so they began to, they began to convert these two old buildings into what, what turned into a little bit of a, a medical clinic. And as they did that, they, they began to try and find a doctor that would come and, and, and be on staff there and, and a few nurses and some other support staff. And every time they would interview someone, they would say, listen, here's the deal. What we want you to understand is this medical facility that we're building is going to be all about the patients. It's going to be all about them. Like it, it's not, there's not going to be bureaucracy. You're not going to have to go through, jump through a bunch of hoops to figure out if you can help them, you're going to help them. And, and money is not an object. If they have insurance, great. If they don't have insurance, we'll figure it out. But we really want to build a place that's all about the patients. And so they did, and, and they got a few doctors on staff and, and quite a few nurses. And as time went on, these doctors were so excited because they were actually getting to do what they were called to do. They were so excited because they didn't have to ask permission to help somebody or they didn't have to figure out what insurance the person was on. They just knew that they could always do their best for the patient. And as time went on, the more and more communities that were surrounding this little community, they began to send their patients to this hospital because the reputation was phenomenal. There were so many people that, that were in need of good health care. And so the buzz was not only throughout that region, but throughout the medical community at large. People from all over traveled to be treated at this little hospital they started to even bring in some doctors who, were, who should have been at bigger hospitals, but they loved the model and they loved the idea of this. And as time went on, they began to realize that these little buildings that they had converted are no longer big enough. And so they broke ground on a new building, a state-of-the-art building. And as they did that, it, it, they put in this, this five-story amazing hospital with state-of-the-art equipment and they began to interview more and more doctors and more and more nurses and everybody was so excited to work there. They were so excited to see the transformation that was taking place in people's lives as they were able to just do what they were called to do. It was just this incredible time and space. Eventually at one point there was a doctor that got hired and he had come from a bigger city and while he was there one day, he was talking to the other doctors and he said, you know, at the hospital that I came from, we had this really nice doctor's lounge that we could spend some time in when we were not, when we were not seeing patients. And the doctors began to talk and they said, man, that would be really nice. We work really hard and it would be great if we could have a space for ourselves that we as doctors could just hang out in. And so they began to talk to these two brothers and the brothers said, you know, that's not, you know, really, we don't have the space for it. And they said, well, we really, we figured it out. And if we knocked out like three of the patient rooms on the fifth floor, we could, we could make a nice lounge that we could spend some time in. Well, the brothers weren't too into it, but eventually they gave into the demands and they knocked out a few rooms and they made it so that the doctors had a place to be. And the nurses got wind of this and they said, that isn't fair. We work every bit as hard. In fact, I think the words they said it was twice as hard as the doctors. And, uh, and so they said, we, we deserve a lounge as well. We should have our own place to be able to kick back and relax. They said, we're going to need a little bit more space because there's a lot more of us than there are of the doctors. And so as time went on, there was this infighting that began to happen. And eventually the brothers gave in and they, they began to knock out some more walls to where pretty soon the whole fifth floor, instead of being patient rooms, became lounge rooms for those who were employed at the hospital. Now, with that, everything began to change. Thing, people began to fight. They began to want 
more time off. They thought they deserved to have more benefits. They thought the pay wasn't good enough. And everything switched from being about the patient to being about themselves. And in that moment when that happened, all of a sudden it went from being this special thing to being just another hospital. And I remember I told that story back in the day and as I was talking to my church family at the time, uh, as I had written that little story down, I also penned the words in my office on that day that said the church is not a clubhouse for Christians, it's a hospital for the hurting. Now, I've heard that said in different ways since then, but it was 19 years ago that I wrote it, and it still hangs in my office today as a constant reminder as to what the church is supposed to be. See, it's easy for us to get to a place where the church becomes about us, where it comes about, becomes about our comfort. It, come, it becomes about what we want and the way we think things should be instead of understanding that God has never called us to be a church that's here to make ourselves feel good. We're here to reach the lost. Here's how Jesus said it in Luke chapter five, verse 30. The Pharisees and the religion scholars came to his disciples uh, greatly offended. What is he doing eating and drinking with crooks and sinners? Jesus heard about it and spoke up. Who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? I'm here inviting outsiders, not insiders. An invitation to change life, to change, uh, change from the inside out. There's the vision statement right there. Jesus spoke it over us. He said, if you're gonna do what I'm doing, what I'm doing is I'm not here. I'm not here for that, the, the well. I'm here for the sick. I'm not here so that those who are already on the inside get a pat on the back. I'm here to change the lives of those who are on the outside. When I was at the Dream Center on that trip, I was reminded of the story of Matthew Barnett who started the Dream Center in Los Angeles. And one of those moments that he had where he was in this par Echo Park and it was, it was, he was surrounded with with drug dealers and pimps and prostitutes and homeless people. And he was crying out to God saying, God, I don't really understand why you brought me here. I don't understand why I'm here. I'm so irrelevant in this community. And in that moment, God spoke to him and said, this is your church. Look around you, this is your church. And then he said, you go after the people that nobody wants and I'll bring you the people that everybody wants. And with that, that something tweaked inside of me, something changed that said, we need to be a church that understands. And that's why I love the fact that if you were to come out here on a Saturday afternoon, or if you were to spend any time, even, even during our work week, it's funny because we'll have people come on staff and they'll go, I had no idea the people that come and just stop in at the church and are in need of help. And I, you know, I am so grateful for the fact that we are a church that will will work with anybody that we love people and that we want to we want to show the love of Jesus Christ even when it's inconvenient. How many of you know it's inconvenient sometimes? Yeah. You know what's inconvenient is people giving up their Saturday to come out here today and stand in the pouring rain and feed people. That's inconvenient. But I'll tell you what, it's what we're called to do. Yes. It's who we're called to be. Now, I want us to look at this a little bit because last week I told you that Paul refers to the church as the body of Christ. 
So we spent some time on that. And what I, what I want us to realize is how easily it is that the enemy will attack the body. Now, it's been almost a year ago that Shannon and I had our first grandbaby, um, who you all know if you've been around here. Yeah, give her a round of applause. She's amazing, Aubrey. Um, but as parents and grandparents, we know that there are external things that come against a little baby or against, uh, against us as humans, right? So like our house isn't childproof yet and that little girl's about to start walking. So how many of you know we better get cracking on that? Um, but we know like, oh, we gotta protect, but you know what? There's a lot of internal things that are also can cause harm to the body. Most of us in the room right now, we probably even at this moment could name somebody inside of our life who is fighting cancer right now. And that is an internal thing that eats away at your body and it does it oftentimes under the radar. And so many times I've heard the story of somebody finding out when they're already at stage four that they have cancer. And so as I was thinking about that, I thought if the church is a body, we need to realize that there are not only external things that come against the body of Christ, we've seen that. We watched during COVID that all of these things came against Christ's body, right? And some of that has not stopped, even though we're not having to mask up and, and, and you know, do all the crazy things that we did during COVID, there still is an enemy that is coming against the church of Jesus Christ. He's trying to make us look like we are far fringe lunatics, when the reality is we're standing on the same truth that has always been the truth and that will always be the truth. So those are external, but what are some of the internal things that come against the body? What are the things that inside of the church can cause destruction? Why, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 20, it says this, For I am afraid that when I come, I won't like what I find, and you won't like my response. I am afraid that I will find quarreling, jealousy, anger, selfishness, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorderly behavior. So I, I could do a whole sermon series just breaking all of those down. But as I was reading that verse this week, I couldn't help but think about the one that's right in the middle and it's selfishness. And can I tell you that 90% of sin comes out of selfishness? Like if you even look at that list, you could say, yep, that's because of selfishness. Yep, that's because of selfishness. What does that mean? It means I'm putting myself before other people. I'm putting myself before anything else. I'm putting myself above what God wants me to do. I'm putting myself in a place where I am of most importance to me. So I wanna take just a few moments and I want us to look at throughout scripture, just so you understand, we see throughout scripture that selfishness is never something that is looked upon favorably. The psalmist in, in Psalm 101 verse four says, I will reject all selfishness and stay away from every evil. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 23, you Pharisees and teachers are show-offs and you're in trouble. You wash the outside of your cups and dishes while inside there is nothing but greed and selfishness. Romans, Paul tells us, but he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. So I want us to understand and I, I really feel like as we talk about the church being a body, how do we become the best body that we can be? 
How can we protect ourselves from the things where the enemy will use them to destroy us within? When we see things like government overreach and stuff like that, we all can join together and go, no, we're not going to allow that to happen again, right? Like if, if there's another outbreak of COVID and they stay, say they're gonna shut down the churches, I mean, you know, this church will not shut down again. We're done with that. That was a nice try, right? But that's over. So, so that kind of thing, we can all band together and go, yes, we will never do that again. But can I tell you that what happens is the enemy is very cunning and he knows I can push from the outside, but what that does is it pushes them together. So what does he do? He comes from the inside. And so I believe that one of the biggest cancers within the church now is selfishness. And I'm going to say something right now that may be controversial, but I want you to don't shut me out after I say this first part. I want you to hear the whole thing. We live in a day and a time right now where you will hear the term self-care a lot. And I'm fine. Self-care is fine. But can I tell you, self-care and selfishness border each other. They share a border. And if you're not going to protect yourself from it, you will find yourself moving very quickly from what, we, what the world would say is self-care into selfish behavior. Now, I, as I was going to preach that, I'm like, I better do a little bit of digging in and, and just make sure that what I'm saying, that, that that's accurate. And so I began to look, I even, I like looked up in my, in my Bible and I looked up in Bible app and I, and I even Googled it. I said, how about some verses about self-care? And can I tell you, there's all kinds of things that came up. Here's 10 verses on self-care. Here's two, and all those verses, almost all of them were all get away with the, you know, verses about Jesus going off by, the, by himself with the father or about people spending time in prayer or about people serving others. That was actually part of it as well. And I thought, man, there is nothing in there that's just like, oh yeah, no, you have a season of being on your own and doing your own thing. There was nothing, none of that. And so as I was, as I was looking at that, I thought, well, let's look at Jesus because he's our ultimate example. Now, Jesus took 40 days and he, and he went away. And so you can make the argument that was Jesus's self-care. Okay, well, first of all, some of you think self-care is like a bubble bath and reading a good book. Jesus' self-care, then, if you're going to call it that, was 40 days of not eating in the wilderness, okay? And so, but the reason he did it was because he was launching into ministry. So he said, I'm going to go and I'm going to spend some time with my father, and I'm going to, I'm going to sacrifice. His self-care was sacrifice. I'm not going to eat. But you know what else I found interesting as I thought about that? I thought that was the time when the enemy attacked, when the enemy went in tempting, right? So we need to understand that, that as we look at this, uh, again, I'm, I'm all for like taking care of yourself and all of that stuff, but please don't get sucked into this trap because I think sometimes what the, what's happened is the enemy has changed a word to make it acceptable in the church. Because as we look at scripture, there's, not, there, there's, very, la, there's very little about self. It's usually about others. And that's where we're actually gain our, our, uh, our, our strength is from helping other people, yeah. not from helping ourselves. I've watched as people will say, hey, I, I'm just in a season that's really all about me right now. <laughs> Chapter and verse, show me it. Yeah. I, I don't see it. I don't. There isn't that. There isn't like, hey, I'm in a season where it's just me right now. 
And if I could just have a little bit of a season, that isn't there. And if I'm being honest, I've watched as people do that and use that as an excuse to pull back. And what happens is a lot of times they never come back. And the enemy knows if I can get you to, to do something that society as a whole says, hey, this is all real good, it's good for you, then you'll do it and then you'll pull back and all of a sudden you won't step back in. And then that's dangerous because what you've done is you've isolated yourself. Galatians chapter five, verse 16 through 18 says this, my counsel is this, live freely, animated and motivated by God's spirit then you won't feed the compulsions of selfishness. For there is a root of sinful self-interest in us that is at odds with the free spirit, just as the free spirit is incompatible with selfishness. These two ways of life are contrary to each other, so that you cannot live at times one way and at times another way according to how you feel on any given day according to how you feel on any given day. Why don't you choose to be led by the Spirit and so escape the erratic compulsions of a law-dominated existence? So as we look at this, the Scripture tells us that living for yourself and living for the Spirit are opposite. They're not, they're not, they're not compatible. You're either doing one or you're doing the other. You're not doing both at the same time. Those things are at odds with each other. And so I want us to hear this because selfishness is a cancer that will come into a church body and it will actually bring destruction. Yeah. This church was founded on selflessness. This church runs on the fuel of selflessness. This church will move forward as we continue selflessness because that's the only way it will work when we started this thing there was there was no paid staff there were volunteers all of us we just volunteered and and there were times when it was it was really hard because we would come every Saturday. We were over at Mount Jumbo School. We'd have people that would come and we would spend all day setting up. And we had 40 people come to church and it took us all day to set up the stage, to do all the things, to run the sound. We had to set up and tear down every week. And after church, we'd tear it all down. We'd do all this stuff. And, it, and all, all at the same time, we were trying to start a ministry called Street Teams. So a lot of times in the morning, we'd go out and we'd be trimming hedges and mowing lawns and doing stuff. And then we'd, we'd go take a shower, come back and set up the whole church. We'd do church service. And I, can I tell you right now, it wasn't, it wasn't always fun. But we did it because we knew it was what we were called to do. So I want to look at this for just a moment because I think there are some symptoms to selfishness that we need to be aware of. The first one is the, the someday mentality. And this is uh, procrastination is a symptom. Right now isn't a good time for me to serve. But once this happens, then I will. Once I establish my business, once my kids are out of sports, once this happens, once that happens, then I will. But again, let's go back to the, this imagery of the church being a body. Yeah. How many of you have ever been in the middle of something and you get an itch on your face, right? And, and maybe your hands are full at the moment, whatever, and, and that's all you can think about now, 
right? So imagine if there's a need like that and my hands go, you know, I'm kind of in a season right now. I just don't really feel like scratching the face. So, you know, when I, when I have a little bit of time to myself, then maybe I'll get to a place where I'm ready to itch. Your, how many of you know I would be able to accomplish nothing? Once you even start thinking about the fact that you got an itch on your face, you can't think about anything else, right? So if we talk about the body of Christ, last week we used the analogy of a finger and all that stuff being cut off, and you, you need to realize that all of us as the body of Christ, we're all important. Yes. We're all needed, it's necessary. So when we allow ourselves to do this, the someday mentality, what we're actually doing is we're postponing the move of God the way that he wants to move in the local church. You're saying, I'm gonna put the brakes on it for me. What is that? That's called selfishness because I don't really want to right now. I believe with all my heart that every one of you that is part of this church family, you are here for a purpose. And the reality is, is when you, when you hear me say something like that, you go, oh yeah, he, they just want from me. No, what I'm telling you is the way you were designed is that when you begin to walk in selflessness, then all of a sudden you begin to come alive inside. The next symptom is someone else will handle it. The self-importance symptom. And what that means is we can get so wrapped up in our own things that we can start thinking that our stuff is more important than their stuff so they can do it and my, I'll, I'll just do my own thing and they can make sure that everything happens. Can I tell you that there are probably at least 700 people that call this East Missoula campus their church home? That's, I think that's being conservative because if, we were to, if you were to actually do the numbers, you'd realize that the, the numbers that come on a given weekend and the, the average person attends church one to two times a month, then we're probably even more than that. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna conservatively say that 700 people call this campus their home church. And I was figuring it out this week and I bet it takes, at, if we're gonna do a minimum shift, it takes 35 people to make church happen uh, for each of the gatherings between kids' church, coffee shop, greeters, welcome center, worship team, all of the things, 35 people. Can I tell you that most weekends, we don't have all of those people? Can I tell you that most weekends, either we're short those people or we're begging people at the last minute to show up? So that's 5% of the 700 people. We struggle to get the 5%. Now, some of you are like, yeah, but I help at Food Bank and I love you and I appreciate you and that's totally great. Can I tell you that a lot of the people that are serving as hosts, as coffee shop people, as all that, they also helped at Hands of Hope. They also helped at Food Bank. They also helped in other areas. Now, you, now you're going, Jason, are you just laying like a huge guilt trip on us right now? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> Unapologetically, I'm laying a guilt trip on you right now. Because here's the thing, you're missing out. You're missing out. You're missing out on being part of the body of Christ. We can't sit back and go, well, I'll just show up and it always just happens. I, I'm, I was looking to see if we had a camera person over there because I literally, they, they didn't have one up until like the last minute. And I was gonna leave during this time of preaching and walk over there and I was gonna readjust the camera for them just to prove my point. Thank you for being there, appreciate you. Um, 
But for many years at the start of this church, I didn't make a paycheck. We didn't have anybody that got paid. We all just did it for years and years and years. As the church continued to grow and they needed more of my time, I took on more responsibility and the church began to pay me. And then the church continued to grow and we brought on more staff and that's a huge blessing. But can I tell you, it can also be a huge curse because what happens is then people sit back and go, oh, well, they have people that are paid to do that. Oh, well, I'm not paid, so that's their thing. That's not my thing. Can I tell you the reason that we bring on staff is because we want to train people to be the body of Christ. I, we, we need you. Because if it's up to us, this, this thing's capped. It's as, big, it's as much as we can do. But I believe with all my heart that God is calling River to bring this idea of the hospital further. Because we already have churches that will reach out to us and go, can you teach us how to outreach? Like, we don't know. We don't get it. We don't understand how you guys do what you do. That's incredible. It's not because of us. It's because we just said yes to what God asked us to do. The next symptom is the give to get, the honor me syndrome. Um, selflessness is when we find a need and we fill it and we find a hurt and we heal it. Not so that people will see how good we are, but because God has asked us to do that. He's called us to love others more than we love ourselves. So as we look at the story that I told you at the, at the opening of this, when you become part of the body of Christ, you become part of the team. You're part of the staff now. Don't expect a paycheck. I'm just saying, <laughs> but you're part of the staff. You're part of the you're, the, you're a doctor, you're a nurse, you're a support staff for the hospital. So when you say yes to Jesus, now you're there. And now what do we do? We focus on the patients. We say, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna make sure that the patients are taken care of. In the story where all of a sudden this incredible hospital that had been built where things began to change is when the staff began to make it about themselves instead of about the patient. And I want to tell you right now that, that as your pastor, I want, I'd never want this to change inside of our DNA. I want us to be a place that we are lost focused, that we are a place that, is, that isn't about making ourselves happy or comfortable, but we are, we are a place where we, where we want to reach the lost with all that we are. In the story, it moves them from being a unique, amazing thing to being just another hospital. If you've ever spent any amount of time in an ER, you know that, that when you see somebody rushed in and they're, they're on death's doorway, you see that people just begin to act. They don't wait. They don't sit back and go, ah, oh, it's not my turn. It's their turn. No, they move. They do whatever needs to be done. And I really, I, I just envision this place where as a church, if all of us would get involved, if all of us would participate in some way, if all of us would find our space, if all of us would watch for needs and then figure out how to fill them, we would have the biggest impact that we possibly could in this city and in this world. I heard it said once that the church needs fewer commentators and more innovators. It needs, more, it needs fewer critics and more creators. 
It needs fewer imitators and more dreamers. See, what we need to remember is it, it, it isn't about our way. It's about Yahweh. It's all about him. We put that on the back wall again so that every time that someone stands at this podium and preaches God's word, every time worship is led from this stage, every time we walk into this room for anything, I want it to constantly be a reminder that we are not here for us. We're here to make him famous. Why is selfishness so scary? Because selfishness takes us out of the game. Selfishness removes us from where we're supposed to be so that I can take care of me instead of making him famous. Contrast a, a hospital, an emergency room with a hotel. As a hotel, if we were to go to a hotel, we'd walk in and, and they would do everything they can. They, if you go to a nice hotel, they got a concierge. They, they'll do what, is there anything we can do for you, sir? Is there anything that you need? Can we make, make that happen for you, Right? It's all about the guest. It's all about me. And that's a great feeling. Don't get me wrong. We love that. But that's not what we're called to. You, you go to a hotel enough times, you start earning points. My dad used to have points with different hotel things because he traveled so much. And he'd get to the thing and they'd go, oh, hello, Mr. Ton. And is there anything, can we send some stuff up to your room? Would you like blah, 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 right? Because they knew, they, they looked at his chart. Oh, okay, this guy, this guy gives us a lot, right? He's with us a lot. And oftentimes we come to church and we want that. Well, I go to this church, so I've, I'm gonna, can I tell you, I, I've, sh I've shared this with you before. When, when our building, when we were at the other end of the room, we had these tables in the back of the room. That's where people could sit. If you didn't want to sit in the chairs, you could sit at tables. And we had these, these little old ladies, and they were so sweet, and they were so kind, and they were, they were wonderful, uh, but they had a table that they always wanted to sit at. And it was there, they called it the granny table, and they would come way early to get the granny table. And one day we had visitors that came, and the grannies weren't there on time, so the visitors sat at the table. Wow. And they went up to the visitors and said, you can't sit here. I didn't know this. I heard it later, uh, which obviously led to me having a conversation with some grannies. <laughs> right? But kicked them out. Why? This is our table. This is our church. Right? I don't ever want to be that. That's not who we're called to be. This is a hospital, not a Hilton right? I want, as we talk about church, I want you to grasp my heart when it comes to church. God has called us to this space of understanding that, that it's the sick that need a doctor, not the well. We are a church that just believes strongly that God is calling us. He's using us. We've watched over the years as he's opened door after door after door after door for us to be the ones that invite those who have been disenfranchised, those who have been, who have been mistreated, those who have been overlooked. 
And I don't want us to ever lose that. And I knew that as we talked about what the church is supposed to be, you need to hear that from me. Because maybe you're new to River of Life and this is all like something that's foreign to you. But hear me, when we become the most selfless church in this community, we're gonna see the most impact that we possibly can. And the thing about selflessness is, is when you do it, you think you're sacrificing, but all of a sudden you realize you're gaining as you do it. It's God's economy. It's the way he works. So I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes with me for the next few moments. I, I wasn't 100% sure how we were going to end this, this weekend, but I just really feel like, again, this is one of those moments where maybe you've gained a new understanding in this moment today, or maybe you've just been reminded of what you already knew. And that is that space where where we've got to come to a place where we begin to recognize what are the things inside of my life that I do that are selfish? What are the things inside of my life where I've allowed selfishness to creep in? And in this moment today, I'm, I, my prayer this afternoon was that as we get into this place that, that God would do surgery inside of our lives. Just as if you, had, if you were diagnosed with a tumor and it potentially could be cancerous, you, the doctor would make arrangements and you would go and, and, and be sedated and go under the knife and they would, they would take that tumor in hopes that they could cut that cancer out. For some of you, you need to have a few moments here where you say, God, will you do surgery inside of my life? Where are the areas that I'm allowed selfishness to creep in where I've begun to tell, me, tell myself a story that my stuff is more important. That the way I feel is how I'm going to, I'm going to dictate the direction of my life through my feelings or whatever it is. This is that moment where you can say, God, I'm, I'm trusting you and I need you to show me those areas so that I can, I can be selfishness free. Just a moment, we're gonna spend a little bit more time in worship. The prayer teams are gonna be down here and they're gonna be uh, available to pray with you about anything. It doesn't have to be about this topic even. Or maybe you just need to come and spend a little bit of time at an altar and just say, God, will you reveal in me where I need this work done? I just feel like even, even the prayer, I'm all yours, God. I'm all yours, God. See, that you're, the Holy Spirit and, and you chasing after your own stuff, those, are, those conflict. Chase what he tells you to chase. Make him the priority and you'll find fulfillment that you won't find through chasing your own things. I'm gonna pray over you. Worship team's gonna lead us in some more worship. The altars are open if you want prayer. God, we just thank you so much. God, that you love us so much, that you have such great plans for us. I thank you for this church. I thank you for this church family. I thank you for these people. I thank you, Lord, for the the stories of transformation that are all over this room. I thank you for those who were disenfranchised, for those who were lost, for those who were broken, who have come to a place of understanding how great your love is for them. I pray for those who need to be reached. And I pray for a church that will reach them. 
pray for a people who will set aside our own selfish ambitions and will pursue the call of God on our lives. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for all that you do. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand as we worship the altar? Hey, thanks for listening. River of Life is a ministry in East Missoula, Montana. We exist for one purpose, to make Jesus famous by showing his love to the lost, broken, and hurting. For more information, you can check us out online at rolmt.com. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus today, we'd love to talk to you about what comes next. Shoot us an email at nextstep at rolmt.com. Thanks.